0: All right, folks. Welcome to Pickaxe and Roll, presented by DraftKings Sportsbook, America's top-rated sportsbook app. I'm your host Ryan Blackburn, at NBA Blackburn on Twitter. It is Wednesday night as I'm recording this uh, after an off day, a second off day for the Nuggets. They've had two days off now, including today, before they head into another back-to-back. It feels like they've been they've been on a very weird schedule where they've had two days on, two days off. For several of these games now. Uh, But the Nuggets are going to be playing the Philadelphia 76ers on Thursday. By the time you listen to this podcast, maybe they've already played, maybe they're getting ready. Uh, But I think it's going to be not necessarily an interesting game, but I am interested in some of the aspects. And I do think that Denver should win. Joel Embiid is not playing. We'll talk about that. Uh, But I want to talk about that, but I'm going to save that for the third segment. For the first two segments, I want to do a contender check-in. I want to discuss all of the teams around the NBA right now that are classified as contenders or close to contenders. And because of that, I, I think there have been a lot of dramatic takes. There have been a lot of there's been a lot of talk about Golden State. There's a lot of talk about like even the Washington Wizards who are at the top of the Eastern Conference right now. So There's a lot to take in, and I want to kind of set the record straight on some of my takes on some of these teams and just kind of share my thoughts on where the NBA is at right now, uh, just 14, 15 games into the season. So it's early, things are going to change, but here are my initial takes. We'll start with the Eastern Conference in the first segment, move over to the West in the second, and I want to start with Washington. Washington. And they've really stood out for, for obvious reasons. Uh, they are c- still currently leading the Eastern Conference right now, uh, though I do think that that is going to end after Chicago finishes off Portland tonight. But Washington Wizards tied for the first seed in the Eastern Conference at 10-4. and four. Uh, Very surprising. Very shocking the way that they've done it. Bradley Beal has not played well. He's one of the stars, along with James Harden, Damian Lillard, Michael Porter. Porter's not in that same class, but he is uh, still up there and still struggling. Bradley beale has been one of those guys that has struggled so far, but the Wizards have been doing it with defense. They've been holding teams down. Despite playing at a fast pace, they have been a very good defensive team. And I think you could say that the MVP of that team so far has been Montrez Harrell, of all people. He has come in there off the bench and just completely revitalized their second unit. Uh, Davis Bertans has been uh, – he, he's having a down year, I'm pretty sure, as well. Definitely not hearing as much about the Latvian laser. But uh, uh, Montres Harrell, excuse me, coming a long way from uh, being kind of stuck on the bench with the Lakers last year. The year before, just blitzed by the Nuggets and Nikola Jokic in the bubble. But now he's in a situation where he just has to help teams win, and he's very capable of doing that. And Montrez is actually a really interesting fit in Washington because of how pick-and-roll heavy they can be and how many shots their guards are going to get up. It gives Montrez a lot of space under the rim to get offensive rebounds and putbacks, to get pick-and-roll dunks to then show off some of his post moves and then show what he can do with the ball in his hands. And he's been very good so far. He is a classic innings eater though. He's somebody that I always expect is going to play really well in the regular season. And then when the playoffs come around, I'm very concerned. Uh, Needless to say, I don't think that the Washington Wizards are the best team in the Eastern Conference. I do think that Wes Unseld Jr., Uh, former Denver associate head coach, has done an excellent job. And people need to be crediting him where where it's due. He might be the leading coach of the year candidate in his first season, his first stint ever. And that's really special. That's really cool. He has Spencer Dinwiddie, Bradley Beal, those guys, uh, they're playing the right way, but they're not getting the shots that they need to. Uh, But he's having Kyle Kuzma play well uh, Denny Avdi is playing really well. They've got a lot of pieces there, a lot of guys that they can mix and match. And it just sort of fits in well right now. And I'm, I'm very curious to see what happens when Rui Hachimura comes back, but he isn't back yet. I do think that this is going to be a very interesting team down the stretch, uh, not even down the like just during the middle of the season. Like I wonder what happens if their defense struggles, and Bradley Beal doesn't get it back together uh, because he hasn't been able to carry them in ways that they needed him to before. So we'll see what happens. We'll see if he can adjust. I do think that the Wizards are going to finish as a top eight team in the East, uh, but the difference between one and six right now is just uh, really a game and a half or two games, two games. So we'll see what happens. Uh, The Wizards did just lose to the Charlotte Hornets tonight, 97 to 87. Their offense is not doing them any wonders. So we'll see what happens. The Chicago Bulls, another team that I think just deserves plenty of credit. DeMar DeRozan is a legitimate MVP candidate at this point. He's not at the same level as Nikola Jokic. But I would have him on my ballot if it was a five-person ballot. I would probably have Steph Curry. I'd have Jokic. I'd have Kevin Durant. I would probably have Jimmy Butler, and then I'd have Derozan. It stands out the way that he has helped revitalize what Chicago has been doing. They just play so fast. They play so aggressively. The defense hasn't been a problem. They've that's actually been one of their strengths. The way that he staggers with Levine, uh, playing off of Caruso. Lonzo Ball using Nikola Vucevic the way that he does. uh, I've been really impressed with DeMar. And he has really kind of changed the narrative on who he is as a player. Where he went to San Antonio and kind of all the narratives around him just went to die. Uh, He was the guy that couldn't get it done in Toronto. Went to San Antonio, it was more of the same. But he was getting better as a player during that time. It was just very different. And I think that the the actual ecosystem that they had there in San Antonio wasn't great for him because LaMarcus Aldridge, not as good of a defender as Nikola Vucevic, didn't have as great of a, a running mate in San Antonio on the wing that Zach Levine is now, and they were just kind of in between arrows in San Antonio. Now that they've picked, they've gone young, and that's the right thing for their franchise. It was the right thing right thing for DeMar, to be able to get to a place where he could be utilized the way that he is in Chicago. Another guy, Arturus Karnasovas, just doing wonders with the roster building there. They don't even have Patrick Williams yet, and they'll probably get him back at some point, from what I understand. But Patrick Williams, the fourth overall pick in the 2020 draft, was playing really pretty well in his rookie season. They were counting on him as a sophomore, if he can come back and give them just another wrinkle, they already have the foundation to be a really quality playoff team. I think that they're going to be better than the Wizards. I think that they're a lock to be a top six seed, which is crazy. Uh, but the way that things are shaping up here, like Milwaukee's under 500. Brooklyn's doing well, but they they're very volatile for sure. Cleveland is injured. Charlotte is volatile. Miami is like they're an injury away from really falling off too. I could see Chicago being a top 4 seed for sure. And that's crazy to say. It's just crazy, but they they have earned it. They've earned that right based off of the way that they're playing. I've been very impressed with them. But let's talk about let's we'll go a little bit quicker on the rest of these Uh, Cleveland, really impressed with Evan Mobley. Got to see him in person for Denver's second, their second game at home this year. And it was very impressive. I really liked what I saw. He's just so large and so skilled for what he is. I, I was really impressed with the passing, but also just the comfort level of being as good as he was. He's bigger than Jaron Jackson, and I think that's a guy that he gets compared to a lot coming into the NBA, and for good reason, but he's more skilled than Jaron Jackson. Not from an off-the-dribble shooting perspective, but just from a basketball IQ, from a good timing perspective, uh, just kind of has a good feel for what's going on. And I, I definitely underrated that when I was thinking about him as a draft prospect. I thought that he would be great. I didn't think he would be this good this soon. And he really has been. He's been maybe their best player. Although Ricky Rubio definitely deserves some of that love too. Uh, It's it's hard not to like what the Cleveland Cavaliers have done. It sucks that Colin Sexton went down. He was definitely kind of falling into a rhythm, staggering with uh, Darius Garland, with Ricky Rubio. I do like what Cleveland is. I wasn't necessarily like that gung ho about it, but they've really kind of figured it out. And the offense is what it is. It's not great, but the defense I mean, on NBA.com right now, they're at seventh in defense, which is just I mean, it's night and day from where they were in previous years. And getting Jared Allen, pairing him with Evan Mobley, that has really formed a twin tower lineup that I think. I'm surprised that it is working as well as it is, especially with Larry Markkinen, but Larry's been out. So it's been able to work with just the two bigs and that I'm not surprised about. So we'll see what happens when Larry comes back. Uh, We'll see what happens with the staggering that they do, but lots of smart players. Kevin loves playing pretty well. Hard to hate it. Been pretty good. Brooklyn. I mean, Brooklyn is what it is. It's hard to evaluate them. Kevin Durant has been so great and they do have enough pieces around him to sort of make it work. James Harden, struggling. As everybody knows, it's been well-documented, but he's going to be fine in my opinion as long as he can continue to get athletic, play the way that he needs to downhill rather than trying to foul hunt do everything that he needs to do to get to the free throw line. He just has to learn how to play his game again. And he's starting to. I think it's pretty clear by the time playoffs roll around, I think he'll look like a different player. When the playoffs actually occur and and what what happens in those playoff games, I think remains to be seen. Also remains to be seen whether Kyrie Irving is going to ever play again. That seems like a, a very scary thing. If I am the Brooklyn Nets, But if they go down this year, and the reason why they do is because uh, James Harden doesn't perform up to expectations, or Kyrie Irving doesn't perform up to expectations, or he's not even there, they're a really interesting team for a number of reasons. But one of them is that Harden and Irving are both on expiring deals. And I wonder what happens if they opt out of those deals, and then Brooklyn just doesn't re-sign them and tries to pair Durant with another superstar type. That is very intriguing to me. I don't think that that would actually happen. It's way out in the future to be able to think about that, but they should be trying to gear up around Kevin Durant. He's arguably the best player in the world. I think it's Jokic, as you guys know, but... Kevin Durant is playing at an incredible level and taking advantage of this while he's still doing it is very important. So would they trade Kyrie Irving if it doesn't look like he's ever going to come back? Would they trade James Harden? Probably not. They'd probably never trade James Harden, but it would be very interesting to see where this team looks like in February, right before the trade deadline. What's going on with them? What's their record? Are they just getting through the regular season or are they gearing up for the playoffs? I think that those two things are drastically different and we'll see which one it is. Milwaukee, another team that I'm not really worried about. Uh, I'm I'm less worried about them than I am Brooklyn. Uh, I think tonight was the first game, if I recall, that Giannis, Middleton, and Drew have all played in the same game. And Giannis, uh, uh, Middleton and Drew were not good in this game, but Giannis was fantastic against the Lakers, 47 points, super, super efficient, just dominated and got wherever he wanted to. And the Lakers had no answer. Anthony Davis had no answer. He put up like 18 points and Giannis put up 47. What are we talking about here? Very impressive stuff. Really liked, uh, like, I mean, Giannis is, is so easy to root for in general, and the Bucks are so easy to root for. I've always seen them as kind of the Denver Nuggets East approximate, where you centralize everything around Giannis, and you do so around Jokic. You find the right co-stars. You try to put it all together. Denver is doing the same thing. They're just kind of dealing with some injuries right now. Hopefully, hopefully Milwaukee gets healthy, figures it out. Brooke Lopez, Dante DiVincenzo, MIA. Don't know when they're going to show up, and I, I hope that it's soon because that team, they like they play some deep reserves, and it's kind of crazy to see. But uh I do think that they like they're probably my pick to come out of the east. As long as you could guarantee me that Brook Lopez and Dante DiVincenzo are gonna be healthy by the playoffs. They would still be my pick. And rapid fire here, Philly. It is what it is. I don't know what to do with them until Simmons comes back. You just have this ticking time bomb sitting on your bench. Uh, There's a lot of pressure on all sides. It's very dramatic. I hope that he gets moved. If he doesn't get moved, I'd be very upset with that situation because they're just basically holding him out and he's basically staying away, ensuring that he doesn't play for that franchise anymore. And It's just a difficult situation. You want to see all of the talent play especially when they're healthy. We'll see whether you actually can, but Joel Embiid's still very good. Tyrese Maxey's still, like, Tyrese Maxey's really, really good. Been very impressed with them. I just don't think that they are in that top tier. Like, it's hard to talk about them in the top tier. I think Brooklyn and Philly, or Brooklyn and Milwaukee are the top tier. I think that Philly and Miami and Chicago now are in the next tier. I think below them is Washington, Cleveland, Atlanta, and Boston, if you're feeling generous. Maybe New York. Both of those teams are kind of in their own independent tier. But that's kind of the landscape right now. Miami's good. They're not great. Uh, although they did have to go on a Western Conference road trip, and that was, that's always tough. But for the rest of their games, they've been pretty good. Uh, but I'm very curious. I'm, I'm curious to see what happens with the East it is going to be very interesting to see whether it's just kind of uh, status quo and giannis and kd are facing in the eastern conference finals because that seems like most everybody's picking that or if it's a newcomer if it's washington if it's chicago if it's miami if it's cleveland charlotte like like there's a lot of weird stuff going on in the eastern conference there's a lot of talent I'm not sure if it's like excellent talent. I'm not sure if it's good enough to kind of impact what Brooklyn and Milwaukee are on course to do, but I am curious. So we'll just leave it at that. Let's take a break. When we come back, we are going to discuss the Western Conference now. Where are these Western Conference contenders and where do they stand? We will be right back. Pickaxe and roll. Thank you so much for tuning in. Really appreciate it. Uh, if you could, it would be awesome if you could leave a rating and review on iTunes, Apple Podcasts. That would be so cool. Uh, always love to see those come in and they help grow the program. They absolutely do. And I, I keep getting messages from people, like whether, whether it's offline, whether it's people that have, have been in reviews, that everybody's been pretty happy with it. And that, so I've, I've been very happy to hear that positive result, uh, that positive feedback. Uh, if you have any other feedback, then, then let me know. I'm, I'm always open to interpretation and open to opinion. All right, let's talk about the West contenders now. I'm going to skip Denver. I think that we've we've talked about Denver enough. What I will say is they are seventh in net rating right now on NBA.com. And that makes a lot of sense based off of how they've played, based off of the teams that they've faced. They've beaten Phoenix. They've beaten Miami. Uh, they played Dallas and Utah pretty close up until kind of the bench sort of gave things away. Um, there's a lot to like about what Denver has done. They just need to get healthy. You could say the same about the Clippers and I, I don't know. You could say about a lot of teams, honestly, in the West, like Clay Thompson is still out and I don't know what to make of Golden State until he does come back because right now, Golden State's really freaking good. They go into Brooklyn a couple nights ago and just shellac the Brooklyn Nets. And Steph Curry is clearly the best player on the floor against a team that's playing Kevin Durant and James Harden. Like that's that's a pretty big deal. And he just keeps getting better and better. And I, I would pick him for the MVP award. Like I said that earlier in last segment. But I really do mean it, that despite the fact that I think Jokic is the best player in the NBA, I think that Steph has been the most impactful uh, from the position that Golden State's in in the standings, what he does for that team, how they have kind of built a juggernaut around him that can run even without Klay Thompson at this point. Uh, Everybody is always about getting Steph the ball, about freeing up Steph, playing off of Steph, making sure that he can set them up like by just running around. And, and it's it's been incredible watching him for obvious reasons. But he's been really good and, and deserves all the praise that he's been getting. Might have gone a little bit overboard, but I do think that Golden State is a legitimate contender. I think that anybody that says otherwise would be insane at this point. They have shown that they have championship DNA in the past. They have had an easy schedule to this point, but they took care of business, and the way that they are winning, the margin that they're winning by is very impressive. They just have too much firepower, and Steph is kind of the the double-barrel cannon behind that. Uh, take him away, and, and obviously things are going to look very different, but the way that Jordan Poole has played, the way that Otto Porter and Nemanja Bielitsa and even Andrew Wiggins and Draymond Green... The way that they've all fit together, it's been extremely helpful, and they still have so much young talent that they can either implement or can flip. And it wouldn't surprise me if they traded one of those guys, whether it's James Wiseman, Jonathan Kaminga, Moses Moody, Gary Payton II. Uh, they, they have a lot of young, interesting players, interesting and very talented players that I think could be really helpful for rebuilding teams and will get to flourish in those situations. And maybe there's a veteran that that Steph and company can go hunt and try to find that that would fit really well. Funny thing is, it's probably Harrison Barnes is the best fit. And that is going to be a very interesting reunion if it does happen. Um, I would still like, I I would be considering Miles Turner if I were them, because they're going to have to face Jokic at some point. They're going to have to face Anthony Davis and Draymond Green does make Anthony Davis want to cry sometimes. But I do think that there are enough centers. There's enough bigs in the Western Conference picture. Rudy Gobert is among them. Uh, Chris Stapps Porzingis, you want uh, Draymond on him. And then you want another center kind of protecting the rim. If Kevon Looney's good enough in their eyes, then great. But there is something to be said about Miles Turner. And then you can add. Steph, Clay, Wiggins, Draymond, Jordan Poole, Otto Porter, Nemanja Bielica, good lord. Like They they have a stacked roster. It is very impressive. Phoenix is back to their winning ways. They've won nine in a row, and I think that they're going on to 10, if I'm not mistaken. Let me just check the, uh, oh no, they're tied with Dallas kind of going into the the final few minutes here, but Chicago and Portland are also tied. I'm not sure what happened there, but looks like they've tied things up in that regard. Um, I'm very curious to see what happens with both of those matchups. Actually, those are very interesting. Um, But yeah, it's, it's going to be interesting to see what Phoenix does. They've been very good throughout the season. Got off to a little bit of a slow start. There's a little bit of a hangover, obviously, that befalls teams that lose in the the conference finals and the finals and things like that. But they've snapped out of it. They've played really well. Chris Paul has been incredible. Devin Booker is getting back on track. And Mikhail Bridges is just so good. I, I wonder what would have happened had Denver drafted Mikhail Bridges instead of Michael Porter Jr. And just how much more simple everything would be. They didn't have an opportunity to do so. Mikael Bridges got drafted 10th in that draft and MPJ lasted until 14th. But so much of what Denver does now, even like without Murray, like Mikael Bridges would be so good playing off of Jokic, creating offense Uh, But also just kind of being that supersized Gary Harris role and then you add the defense into that and man, it's just – it would be a – like he's the perfect Murray Jokic role player in my opinion. And Denver has the structure around it where you've got – even without Murray, Morrison Barton where you can be okay with having a Mikael Bridges and he could be the uh, second option, third option, fourth option, whatever you want him to be. But he's good enough on both ends of the floor that would just elevate Denver to a new level. I miss Michael Porter Jr. Denver needs to get him back. It's like this is going too far. Like Porter has been out for too long that I'm now pining away for Mikael Bridges. Like he needs to come back and he needs to show some semblance of health here. But back to Phoenix, uh, like they've got a great roster. JaVale McGee's filled in really well for them. Not surprised. I mean, he was solid in Denver when he got his opportunities, and he's solid in Phoenix. They have a they have a system that's more conducive of him putting up numbers than he would have in Denver. Uh, they have an elite pick and roll ball handler in Chris Paul, another one in Devin Booker who gets him the ball. Cameron Payne when he's available does a great job. Uh, so they're going to be just fine. DeAndre Ayton's back. Like they're they're going to be very very good. They're going to be very dangerous once again. And if I'm Denver, I am a little bit worried about that because you now have Porter, who's once again dealing with a potential back injury. And does Denver have the mechanisms to keep up with Phoenix um, now that Will Barton is back and if Jamal Murray's back? I actually think that they might be better suited to playing against the Phoenix Suns if they just have to go Murray, Morris, Barton, Gordon, Jokic, and just go small and just try to defend them straight up, and it'll be tough at some points, and maybe you go bigger with P.J. Dozier at some points, but uh, I do think that Denver may have to look at that when thinking about the Michael Porter situation. I think that there's something to it. Same thing with Golden State, by the way. They're definitely – uh worries that I have with Porter and Jokic being on the floor at this on the same time, at the same time, against teams that move the ball that well. Dallas is another one that I think I, I was underrating their supporting cast based off of what I had seen from them previously, not knowing that things would kind of fall into place the way that they have. But Dallas was really impressive in their showing against Denver. I do think that they started off pretty slow, and I do think that Aaron Gordon does match up with him pretty well. But uh, with Luka Doncic, pretty well, excuse me. But Kristaps Porzingis impressed me. Tim Hardaway Jr., Jalen Brunson, they they impressed me too. As long as it can be sustainable and they can get good performance from all those guys in the playoffs, then they should be pretty good. Um. Do I think it's going to happen? Do I think that that is likely? I don't know. I don't know. We're just going to have to see. They are so heavily dependent on Luca. If those things don't happen. That I would be concerned. But still. I am interested in seeing what they do. Because they. There's a lot of people that are very high on them. There's a lot of people that are very low on them. Uh, I don't know what's right. It would be. Like, irresponsible of me to guess which one is correct. Let's talk about Utah now. Utah is very interesting. Currently, they're second in the NBA in net rating. They have the top offense in the NBA. And their three-point shooting is so bad. Like, it, it's just so surprising that they haven't been a good uh, shooting team because that's what they've been known for in the past is just shooting the, the hell out of the ball. Uh, I know Nuggets fans remember that from the bubble. They have just not been very good as shooters. But this year, they're 23rd in the league in three-point percentage, and they're still the number one offense. And the reason for that is pretty simple. They create such easy shots around the rim other than that, um, on the other four factors for them, their effective field goal percentage is third, which accounts for the two-pointers as opposed to the threes. They just create such efficient two-pointers, and Rudy Gobert is a big part of that too. They also get to the free throw line a lot, which that kind of surprises me. They, they don't seem like a team that would draw a bunch of fouls, uh, but it seems like Donovan Mitchell is not struggling with the new foul-drawing era as some of his other compatriots in the uh, in the league. And it's because he's more explosive. It's because he's he gets downhill a lot more. He's very crafty. Uh, Boyan Bogdanovich, very crafty as well, just knows how to get those fouls. And then Rudy Gobert, if you don't foul him, he's going to dunk. He's going to finish around the rim two feet away. So he gets a lot of calls as well. Well, it's been very impressive, and I, I do think that that is sustainable for them. Maybe not to that degree, but the three-point percentage is going to come back for them too. They're probably going to lead the league in effective field goal percentage, which is generally the best indicator for the teams that are going to do well there. But yeah, Utah, it's it's just so hard to tell with them from a defensive perspective. Like, do they have the horses? Do they have the the defenders? to crack that top level. I don't know. I don't think so. I'm not scared of them. If Denver has to match up, as long as Denver's healthy, I do think that they present a lot of issues for the Utah Jazz. Aaron Gordon is such a great utility piece for them that he is going to cause a lot of problems for Donovan Mitchell or Mike Conley or Joe Ingles or Jordan Clarkson or one of these guys that you place Aaron, and it could be Boyan Bogdanovich too, you place Aaron Gordon on one of those guys defensively and it becomes hell. And then you place him offensively on somebody and Jokic is going to use his strength and athleticism and effectiveness against the Utah Jazz to the point that I think he's going to – he would have a really great series. We already know what Murray's capable of. We already know what Jokic is capable of. I think that that's a series that Denver wins despite the fact that Utah like, may be the better team in some people's eyes. Uh, I don't think that that's actually true. They just have a great formula and I don't know if it carries over to the playoffs. And the last two teams here, the Clippers and the Lakers. The Clippers have been great without Kawhi Leonard. Paul George has stepped up. And like I mentioned before, he's a top five MVP candidate, or maybe not top five, but he would be sixth behind DeMar DeRozan in my eyes. And I think that he's just shown up, Paul George. He's shown up in a way that he needed to To kind of prove to people that he wasn't just a pushover in some of these situations, that he had the backbone to be able to do what needed to be done against a lot of these teams where people questioned that after the bubble. People questioned that after what happened in the Denver series and him kind of crumbling in game seven, despite the fact that I think he was pretty good in games one through six like just overall pretty good. But I do think that he has changed a lot of people's minds about him lately. Those questions could all come rushing back if he has a first round exit or something like that. I do think that the Clippers are probably not a sustainable model uh, for what needs to happen if they're actually going to make a playoff run, and I I, I would just be very surprised based off of what I've seen from them so far that they would advance past, I don't know, the second round of the playoffs. Like, could they maybe, but they're second in defensive rating right now. I don't think that's real. I would like, if I were Denver, I'd be salivating over that. Like, okay, cool. You're second in defensive rating. Great. Can we play you as soon as possible? Uh, That's what I would be thinking if I were Denver. Now, will that actually happen? Will Denver and the LA Clippers match up? I don't know. The Lakers and Denver could absolutely match up. And if that's the case, then I would favor Denver right now. Uh, Just assuming that Murray and Porter are back, LeBron is back. I just think that if, if the rosters don't change for either side, the Nuggets are simply a better team than the Lakers. And that's not what I assumed I would be saying at the beginning. And I'm glad I am saying it. Because to me, it kind of stands out that Denver is now leveling up in a lot of these discussions. It is a real discussion as to who the better playoff performer is at this stage in the careers between LeBron James and Nikola Jokic. And Jamal Murray has shown up in a lot of cases that Russell Westbrook hasn't. And now, can Michael Porter match Anthony Davis? Probably not. Can Aaron Gordon do some stuff? Can Monte Morris and Will Barton do some stuff? Probably. Like if you told me that Denver had the best player in that series between Jokic or between Jokic, Porter or not not uh between Jokic, LeBron and AD, excuse me. I'd say LeBron and AD probably second and third, Murray is fourth, between Porter and Westbrook fifth. I think you could probably go I mean, I don't know which one you would go. That's a very interesting hypothetical for a lot of people, Uh, but Westbrook is not very good in my eyes. I do not trust him in a lot of these situations, and I think that Denver would take advantage of that. We'll see whether that actually happens and whether they get an opportunity to do so, but the way that the Lakers have responded to LeBron James being out has not been super impressive to me. I don't think that they are a good team without him. I think that they've been relying too much on Carmelo Anthony to save them. I don't think the Talon Horton Tucker or Trevor Ariza or Wayne Ellington or any of these guys are going to save them either. It's got to come from Anthony Davis. It's got to come from Russell Westbrook. Those guys have to play better than they have so far. They have not been great, Westbrook especially. Can they be better? Sure. It's going to take a lot, and it's going to take better decision-making for both of them. So I'm very curious to see how that plays out. As you guys probably know, because I say I'm very curious about everything. So is what it is. Let us take a break. When we come back, we are going to preview the Nuggets versus the 76ers. Just a quick preview. We will be right back. Final segment, pickaxe and roll. Thank you so much for tuning in. Watching the end of this Blazers, uh, this Blazers-Bulls game. Uh, Blazers up one now. Zach Levine misses a shot. It looks like the Blazers are probably going to win this, but I could be wrong. Uh, going back and forth right now. If the Blazers continue to lose games, and like tonight, I thought, I thought Damian Lillard started off really slow he's turned it around a little bit, but he's still six of 17. Once again, like I'm very curious to see how the blazers handle this upcoming situation. They already have some drama, um, unfolding within their front office with, uh, gosh, what is Neil Olshay? That's his name. We will see whether, uh, whether they can ultimately figure that out or not and whether that's a, a much bigger situation than what many previously thought. But if Damian Lillard is unhappy and expresses his his unhappiness, I wonder if the Sixers just pounce and they try to throw everything at Dame, try to pair him with Joel Embiid, see if that makes some sense for both players. Because I could kind of see it. Could definitely see it. All right, let us preview the Nuggets versus Sixers game. And, and I wanted to talk about this one just from a brief perspective. It's too bad that we don't get to see Joel Embiid. He's one of the injury absences for the Sixers, who are now 8-7. and seven. They started the season really strong. They were in first place at one point. But then Joel Embiid went on the COVID list, looked like he was... Like, he was going to have a, a utility day, a rest day for his knee, which is unsurprising given, like, where he's at in his career. But then it turned into getting COVID or getting, like, clearly got COVID. It wasn't just a a, neg- a false negative or for a false positive, excuse me, because he's been out for 10 days now, more than that. Um, but in my opinion, he, he got to pass for missing this game. Like, it, it's, it's not injury. It's COVID rules. It's... Him being held out. There was a game last year that he was held out of as well. Uh, in the early stages of the Nuggets, actually, it was a uh, was it last year? Oh yeah, it was last year, I think. Um, where he was held out because of the COVID rules, and like it's it's just uncontrollable. Like that's not something that he can like. Even though he was healthy, like he he wasn't able to. Like it just wasn't his fault that he wasn't able to go, in my opinion. Like I don't think you can hold him to that same like injury standard. That I think if, if he had to have maintenance on his knee, then you could be like, all right, well this is this is tough. This is this is just a really tough situation to be in. Uh, but he's not ducking Jokic. I know people want to say that, but he wants to prove that he's better than Jokic. He doesn't want to prove that he's like afraid of him. That's not something that he wants. So I'd be shocked if that was actually. Uh, on the table for him at this point. But like I said, injury absences, Denver's going to be without Jamal Murray, Michael Porter, Zeke Naji. Will Barton is doubtful. Curiously, not on the injury report, Flacco Chanchar just kind of uh, was on the injury report and then was not on the injury report, and I, I don't know what's going on with him. Um, but maybe I'll ask. Maybe I'll ask at the at the press conference tomorrow because he is definitely like, I could absolutely see him playing tomorrow and being helpful against a player like Georges Niang, who has been great for the Sixers so far. He's been one of the reasons why they've been so good. Uh, him and Furkan Korkmaz, of course. But I do think that Vlaco plays. Actually, well, I mean, we'll see. Bol Bol played really well last game. Maybe he gets another opportunity this time around with Zeke out. Uh, I thought that he did pretty well. I thought that he did what he was asked, and it's too bad that I I don't think his opportunities are long for Denver. I don't think that he's really endeared himself to the coaching staff, and I think that that's partially him and partially situation, but uh, mostly him. Let's, Let's be honest. It's mostly him, but I do think that he could be helpful in a situation like this, in a game like this where you get the crowd going. You get Bones and Bull playing together on the second unit and just bringing the energy, I think people would be pretty happy with that. And that gets the crowd going in a big way. But yeah, injury absences on the Sixers front. You've got Embiid out. You've got Matisse Thybul out, which I think is a blessing in disguise for Denver. Or not blessing in disguise. Like it's a blessing for Denver that he's not going to defend Bones. I do think that Bones is a very important player in this game. And the Sixers not having their best on-ball defender. That's gonna help Denver out tremendously. Um, and then Simmons is out, obviously. Like, that's I don't know when that's clearing up. We have no idea. But neither team is going to be at full strength. In the past couple of years, like Andre Drummond is starting in place of Joel Embiid. He only played 12 minutes last game, but that was against a team that wasn't like gonna play a a bunch of center minutes other than Rudy Gobert. And so you can get away with playing small against Rudy Gobert as long as you uh, don't give him free dunks all the time. But they knew that they needed to go small. They went away from Drummond. They're going to have to play Drummond a lot of minutes against Jokic because if he plays against Georges Niang or Paul Reed or one of those guys, he's going to bury them under the rim. So they're going to play Drummond. Drummond's probably going to play a lot. And I'm very curious to see how those two match up because there's been times where Jokic has played Drummond off the floor in the past two years, maybe longer. Uh, so I am very curious to see what's going to go on there. What I will say, here are three things that I'll be watching for. First one, how did the Nuggets handle Tyrese Maxey and Seth Curry? Denver's been pretty good Like They've been really good on the defensive end this year, but one of the things they've slightly improved was just how they handle quick guards. Sometimes they would be dropping Jokic. Sometimes they would be blitzing guards like that. But one of the things that Denver has always done really well is they get the ball out of the hands of those players and don't allow them to get going as long as they kind of stay attached to those guys, as long as they stay connected. And so if this is the case, if if they can defend Tyrese Maxey and Seth Curry, if they don't have to kind of overextend to deal with their shooting, then Denver's going to be in a really great position. Can Jokic do that? Can he help on Tyrese Maxey, Seth Curry? Can he also do that while holding Drummond away from offensive rebounds? That's a really tough question because offensive rebounding, I think, is Andre Drummond's best skill. It's just what he does best. So if Jokic can shut that down, that's a really, really great sign. And I I think that Utah or not Utah, Philly will already be in for a rough night if that's what happens. If Denver can slow down Tyrese Maxey and Seth Curry from a shooting perspective while also not giving up offensive rebounds. Usually it's one or the other in all likelihood, but great defensive teams can do both So I'm very curious to see what Denver can do. Number two, is Bones Highland back to normal after some of the ankle injuries that he had last game? I think he's just very important to what the Nuggets do. And and you saw what happened to the team and to the bench last game, where when he's not out there or when he is out there, but he's clearly hampered in the fourth quarter, in the second quarter, that the units that are without Jokic just really, really struggle. I hope that Bones is back to normal because they just they don't really have any hope of scoring at a consistent rate when he's not out there, when he's not doing his thing. So we'll see if he can. And then finally, will the Greens stand up? I have not really been pleased with Jeff Green's effort over the last couple games. Not been pleased with Jamichael Green's execution, how he has kind of gotten away from what like the execution aspects of the game rather than just trying to be rough and tumble. And the three point shot has not been going down for either of them. They're each shooting nineteen percent, which is awful. Um, can one of those guys hit some shots? Can both of those guys hit some shots? Like it's capable. Like like they both could definitely do that. If they both did, then it would really bolster what Denver does. Uh, I'm not expecting it, though. And that's a really tough place to be because Denver's already so short-handed that if they don't get production from some of their positions, it just puts so much stress on the others. Like For example, if Jokic is out there and they're starting Austin Rivers next to him, and Austin Rivers goes one of four for two points, the, but he also plays 28 minutes because the defense is very important and what he does on that end is is just a big deal. If they're in a situation like that where they're basically playing four on five on the offensive end, puts a lot of pressure on Jokic, on Barton if he's healthy, on Gordon, on Morris, and guys like that. I don't know if that's actually what's going to happen. I don't know if uh, Jeff Green can step up, Jermichael Green can step up, but it was very clear that when JaMichael Green was playing well against the Portland Trailblazers, everything sort of fell into place. Teams couldn't leave him wide open. And if they did, it was either a dunk or a three. And then if he's hitting those shots, it, it opens up the paint for everybody else. And Bones could take advantage. And Faku could take advantage. And PJ, same thing. So I hope that Denver can get into that rhythm. They're not going to do it unless the Greens play well. That's my opinion. All right, I think that's going to do it for this episode of Pickaxe and Roll, presented by DraftKings Sportsbook, America's top-rated sportsbook app. Thank you so much for tuning in. Uh, We are going to be watching the Denver Nuggets play Philly after this podcast, hopefully. So make sure to check that out. I'll have a podcast up after that. And then, of course, a podcast on the Nuggets and Bulls game that is also going down on Friday on the back-to-back. So make sure to check both of those out. But for now... Thank you so much, everybody. We'll talk to you guys very soon.